0: An Edmonton fertility doc recently sent a letter to his patients to let them know that his actions had, quote, contravened his professional obligations. Dr. Tarek Motan told him that he'd made a deal with pharmaceutical companies to get rebates on certain drugs. So why? Why would he send this letter? Well, probably because he had to. The mail was facilitated by Alberta Health Services. Essentially, in it, the doctor admits to paying pharmaceutical companies for three drugs and in return receiving rebates, you know, kickbacks from those companies which he says went into a separate account that he managed. But wait, there's more. He also overprescribed these drugs. He says he did that because he thought it offered a, a better chance at a successful outcome, but it also means that he bought the drugs, sold more of the drugs to his own patients and made more money, and in turn overprescribing comes with some pretty serious risks when we're talking about these specific medications. A lot to get into now. Uh, Lorian Hardcastle is joining us. Lorian's is a professor of law at the University of Calgary with a focus on health law. Um, Lorian, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, did, did I break it down accurately there? Essentially what we're talking about here is, is kickbacks from pharmaceutical companies to sell patients those drugs, Right.
1: Right. Yeah. The, the issue is this financial conflict of interest where the doctor uh, perhaps has uh, obligations to the patient, but then has this financial relationship with the drug company on the side.
0: Right. And that's the concern here, obviously. I mean, the doctor now would have a motive involved in his treatment plan with his patients that isn't just the best outcome for the patient. There's also financial considerations. That seems like that just muddies the waters in a very bad way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and certainly, we expect of doctors and, and their regulator, the College of Physicians and Surgeons, uh, is very concerned about conflicts of interest. And, and not even just actual conflicts of interest, but even the, the mere appearance of a conflict of interest or what a patient or the public might see as a conflict of interest are matters that, that are concerning for them.
0: Yeah, and we've heard from some of his patients, the other aspect of this is um, he over-prescribed these medications. And he did it knowingly, and he said he he did it because he thought uh, it offered a better outcome. But um, it also meant that he sold more of these drugs, so therefore made money. That's one part of it. And um, the other part of it is that comes with some serious risks. So it's really hard to determine what his true motivation was behind that practice.
1: Th- that's right. And, and certainly, um, you know, there's not, a, there's not an exact dosage that's always going to be the right dosage for every patient of these and so, you know, I I would hope that when um, the College of Physicians and Surgeons looks into this that, uh, you know, they they look into the patient records and try and determine whether uh, in this case, what he was prescribing would have been completely offside, uh, what his motivations were, and, and what sort of consent he got from the patients to prescribe the dose, the dose that he did. Did he explain to them that he was Prescribing more than, than usual and, and the reasons for that. And so hopefully that's all, that all comes to light.
0: Yeah, and as you say, I mean, you know, off label prescribing or things like that, doctors do have some leeway in how they use their treatment plans, but are, are there pretty strict rules around um, patient consent and, um, you know, sort of following certain guidelines when it comes to the practice of over prescribing?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Patients are, uh, have to be informed of anything that a reasonable patient would want to know. That's the, the sort of basic standard. And certainly a reasonable patient would want to know if they're receiving a higher dose of medication than is standard and, and why, um, and consent to that.
0: Um, now, he says um, the money that he made from uh, selling these medications. He actually put into an account that he used for education. That that doesn't change the dynamic, right? You cannot profit in any way, shape, or form. No matter where the money goes, that doesn't uh, offer any sort of explanation or excuse for this, correct?
1: That's right. That doesn't that doesn't change things at all, in my view. Um, it doesn't matter where the money went or what the money was used for or how good the, good the cause was that it was used for. The fact that there was this financial conflict of interest and this relationship with the pharmaceutical companies is really what matters here.
0: Yeah, and you were talking about the College of Physicians and Surgeons, and they are involved in this. They say that action has been taken and continues to be taken. We're not sure exactly what that action is. What kind of action can they take in a, in a situation like this?
1: So the College will investigate, and if it if it merits it, uh, will which which it you know in this case would seem to uh, would would refer it to a hearing where um, a panel would would hear the evidence and hear his submissions. Um, sometimes in that case the physician will admit to the facts, and so they'll move directly to the penalty phase. But they can impose a, a variety of sanctions ranging from warnings to ordering retraining or education, for example. Ethics, um, right up to suspending a license or revoking a
0: license. Okay, practice. so it could be quite severe. Um, in terms of uh, his response, and um, you know, he, he has openly admitted that this, this was going on. I'm sure it was uh, part of a discussion that he's had with the disciplinary boards. Um, but is that part? Do you think of the action that they say they have already taken that he needs to notify his patients because a lot of them had no idea
1: yeah absolutely um and and certainly that um there's in in the law of informed consent um one of the principles is that you know where something has has happened or has gone wrong that patients are to be followed up with, but also of course um we're not clear exactly who, who he was dealing with on this matter, but, but AHS and or the college um, also would have
0: would have worked with him to encourage, uh, would have worked with him to notify those patients of what happened. You know, when we talk about health law, and that's your specialty, it, are there provisions in, in the different acts that um, govern the way that medicine is carried out in our province where... Um, it stressed that the, the, the patients need to have a clear understanding that the motivation of the physician is in their best interest? I mean, is that sort of laid out in some sort of ethical guidelines or rules or, or bylaws that they have to follow, where first of all, that conflict of interest needs to be removed just because we need to have that, that basis of understanding where the patient thinks you're there actually to benefit them, not them and you? Yeah, absolutely. So, it those
1: obligations come from both the um the College of Physicians has standards of practice around conflicts of interest and disclosing conflicts to patients and um and also relationships with industry including pharmaceutical companies. Um and then the Canadian Medical Association also addresses these in in their ethical codes. And I think we might codes and standards of practice as as sounding not binding Mm -hmm. but really in this case they are because the college has that disciplinary authority which gives their standards teeth
0: what's the patient's recourse if you're in a situation like that what how do you go about making sure that it's addressed and um that your care is is the kind of care that you need
1: yeah so so i think that the the patients will hopefully um be following along closely with with whatever actions um, ahs and the college ends up taking, and hopefully those those bodies um, stay in contact with with the patients so that the patients can understand what happened understand the, the facts of what occurred um, and and hopefully get a sense of whether or not um, they should be going to somebody somebody else for for treatment mm-hmm. or whether or not what what exactly they should be doing because of course that's a, a big issue here is there's not a massive surplus in infertility doctors. And so those patients may be in a difficult position of, of either deciding to continue care with him, or do they try and shift to somebody else? and so those will be those will be difficult choices for patients to make.
0: And, you know, when you're making a choice like that, Lorian, when, you, when you've got a doctor in a position like this, like you say, he may not have his license stripped. We don't know exactly what the final outcome will be here, but if it's not, let's say he just moves. He goes from Edmonton down to Calgary and starts up again. Is there a way for a patient who's seeking this treatment and comes across this doctor and decides to uh, make an appointment with them? Is there a way of finding out this kind of background information about what's gone on in the past?
1: Yeah, so, so I think, I think your, your, in, your inclination is absolutely correct. Looking at the, at the previous, at the previous cases, the doctor is, is almost, unless there are facts that we don't yet know, mm-hmm. the doctor is almost certainly not going to lose his, lose his license for this. He will continue to practice. Maybe, maybe in Edmonton, maybe we'll, we'll move. But in terms of transparency around past disciplinary actions, that's been something that, that the college has improved in the, in the past several years and the, the public has pushed for in the past in the past several years, really across the country. And so you can actually find college disciplinary decisions on their, on their website. So those are now available, um, publicly okay. available.
0: Which is good info, because I've heard from some people who say this, this guy's a great doctor. They really liked what he did for them. But having that background information, what to be on, on guard for and be aware of, would certainly be helpful if you're entering into that patient-doctor relationship.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The The um, college really runs on, on the basis of public trust. Yeah, we let exactly. self-regulating professions self-regulate um, because of public trust. And one of the things that enhances public trust is, is that transparency and that information on their website.
0: Excellent. Uh, some great information. Thanks so much. I, I appreciate your time this morning. Thanks for having me. You bet. That is uh, Lorraine Hardcastle, who is a law professor at the University of Calgary with a focus on health law. And it's an interesting discussion. We're starting here from some of the patients of this doctor and obviously very troubling to receive that letter on Friday. The patient wants to remain anonymous, but says yeah, it was pretty jarring.
1: You're already in a desperate and vulnerable situation when you want nothing more than to have a child and you're dealing with fertility issues. And then you put your trust in people who you think have your best interest. It's really unfortunate. I definitely Taken advantage of.
0: Yeah, and possibly financially, she went on to say that she spent at least $5,000 out of her own pocket on these fertility medications. When
1: you're on the higher doses, it's a lot more expensive and you're going through the medication faster. I was also stimulated for the maximum amount of days as well. So each day could be like $500 worth of drugs.
0: Yeah, and uh, it's pretty tough to hear that some of that money is probably going back to the doctor. Troubling situation.